And welcome back to Hinkley. Grant Nicholson producing the operation. Big thanks to Ron Cobb that came in here talking NFL draft. Big thanks to Josh Bernier. Live out of Coffin Stadium, he'll be at Craft and Draft. Each and every home game getting you ready. And he switched up to three strikes to the pitch clock. So he switched up his uh, game show. I did tell him for old school purposes, he needs to bring back three strikes once in a while. Like when they bring back the blue pants, it's bring back three strikes because that was something we've synonymous with the Royals post game, but Chris and Osiris. No, no, we don't need to bring back three strikes. It was a disaster last year. I, we just had like the same 10 people doing it every week. Was a, Chris yeah. been doing Royals games. He's been doing a lot of stuff. Yeah, and, and a lot of the people are terrible at it. I mean, it's funny. I always tell Vern that I like when the guys lose because I don't have to take their information and put it in. You're the gatekeeper for that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. But at the same time, it's not good if you don't have a winner every now and then. And like last year, it was really bad. Like comically bad sometimes. Because you have to, I mean, know your Royals a lot. Because I mean, I've done it. I've done that game show before. But a lot of people have kind of, they're not into it as much as they were. 14, 15 people didn't miss a game. Yeah, and I and like they miss some, them now. There were times where Vern would try to make it easier for him so he yeah. could have a winner. I always tell Vern, is like, no, make it hard. Well, like, Vern, make it, usually pretty hard. Make it a prize. Like I remember when we were doing, uh, was it um, up early when it was me, Cody, and and uh, Ryan doing that on Saturday mornings. We had a Raul Abanez trivia game, and I think one person won the many times that we ran it for like a couple months that we did it. So it you want the game to be hard because then it means it makes it more meaningful when someone actually wins it man chris and i even did the high school show years yes. and years and years ago long time ago but anyway character concerns now we do the uh chiefs nfl draft podcast and uh it goes out every tuesday we've done the chiefs uh seven round mock draft uh the a uh, couple weeks ago last week we did all 31 teams or 31 picks in the first round because right. miami forfeited their first rounds so there's 31 picks because we didn't do any trades because we wanted to you know, kind of do a litmus test on you know, th- throw everything out in the ocean. We'll just throw the trades out, whatever. We're not doing trades. We want to see what's still available at 31. I think we should entertain the idea of trading the next time we do a mock. Oh, we can. And by the way, we'll that doesn't have- mean we have to do it, but we should entertain it the next time. We've we got do some draft shows coming up. It'll be character concerns on Thursday night, six to nine. Yes. So plenty of draft stuff uh, coming your direction. And we'll, we'll get into it, but I'm good with trades. I still don't think they're going to trade in the first round. I'm thinking second round because they're at the end of the second round. They move up because they have picked 31. I could see them getting into like the 40s, 40, 43, some of that way. They have two picks within like 12. I picks could see that if the if they're in a position where first round, they let, let's say that they go. Let's say they go offensive lineman, like an offensive tackle. Well, that's going to dictate what's available. Yeah, that's, and that's going to be a thing. Like, let's say there's not a huge run on receivers because some people think like there might only be like two receivers taken in the first round. I've seen someone just Johnston and Jackson Smith and Jigba instead of Zay Flowers and then and by the Jalen way, the Hyde Chiefs as well. Did bring in Quentin Johnson, for yeah, the top thirty visit. Usually yeah, so hundred percent. He's not getting. Guess. He's not getting charged by the Chiefs. Hundred percent. But like, I if they do go tackle in the first round or edge rusher. Then second round, I can see them maybe tra- trading up and getting a receiver because at that point, maybe they like maybe they like a Hyatt or a Zay Flowers who would you know who might be available early you know somewhere in the thirties or forties, and then you trade up and go get him. I can see that happen. Like Hyatt, I really like Hyatt as you know Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee, but mocks have them everywhere. A lot of mocks second round, a lot of mocks first round. Charles Davis, who I respect a ton from NFL Network, had the Chiefs get him in the first round. Chad Reuter, who's going to be a guest on Character Concerns this week. Had the Chiefs actually trading up to get 
to get Jalen Hyatt. I don't know if anybody screams go out and get him and trade up unless it's for like a Jackson Smith enigma. But again, that's going to take him a Holmes like trade. Are you really going to trade like if, a Holmes type trade to get a receiver? If, if there, but we can't discount the the prospect that Smith and Jigba could fall because we've seen that happen with guys that have been valued high. We saw it a year ago with Carl Loftus. Didn't nobody think Carl Loftus is going to be there after thirteen or fourteen? That's why I didn't want to mock him. To the yeah, I know. And I, 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 I was sitting there. Like I said, I was making fun of whoever was it. One of the guys at CBS all year, all draft season long. Because they were mocking Carl Loftus to him at, to the Chiefs at thirty, and I was like, "There's no way he's going to be there. So why are you even doing that?" And then lo and behold, he was there. There was a, a bunch of edge rushers that got drafted above him. And when the Chiefs traded up to twenty one, I thought that they would take. Uh, I thought they would take uh, Jermaine Johnson. Instead, they they took McDuffie, and then they waited nine picks later to go get Carl Loftus. So I, there's a possibility that he could be there. I don't think he is though. So I think at that point at thirty one. I think they're probably safe to go with Jalen Hyatt there, but they may have to trade at minimum ahead of the Bills. Well, last mock, all the, the top four receivers were gone. Jackson Smith and was gone. Quentin Johnson was gone. Jordan Addison was gone. Jalen Hyatt was gone. So that's why I went offensive line. You may say, well, Jay, you're just, not sexy. You've gone it was not sexy. Every time. But <laughs> the bottom line is Anton's getting a lot of love for the first round. I mean, there's a, and let me put it this way. As I told Ron, like, I'm okay with the Chiefs going tackle because, to me, this draft centers around one man. It's 15. It's Mahomes. How do you make his life easier? And that's obviously with wide receiver and with offensive lineman. And Anton Harrison's a true left tackle. So I, I would like – I would be okay with the true left tackle playing on the right side because then you know you can always move him over to the left tackle down the line, maybe next year, the year after, or maybe, you know, three years down the road if that's what you want to do. Yeah, they don't the, – the Chiefs love versatility in their in their tackles – that's, I mean, usually if you look at their tackles lately, they generally have guys who have moved over from other positions. So, like, we, we saw it with Rimmers and with Wiley. Both of those guys were former guards. And, you know, even with uh, Orlando Brown Jr., he was a, a left tackle that was a former right tackle. So, it would make sense. Eric Fisher was a left tackle that got moved over to right for a couple of years because Brandon Albert was in the way. And then he went back to left when Brandon Albert left and went to Miami. So, I, certainly it, it is possible there. I'm not sure that – I know that that's how our draft played out. I'm not sure that Anton Harrison's there at 31. And the one thing is the line's blurred now between left tackle and right tackle. Yeah. It's getting more and more blurred. Yeah. yeah between, you, because you, the pass rushers don't care. They go on whatever they, – they want mismatch. Yeah, you got to have a player on on, on either side of the uh, of the, of the tackle spot there. Schwartz quality guy at right tackle. Yes, yeah. I mean, at the very minimum, you need an Andrew Wiley-level tackle, which is like, eh, he's all right. But, but he'll get beat a lot of times by the elite guys. Um, so you game plan around that. But you definitely – you can't have a slouch over there at right tackle – considering that a lot of teams are now lining up their best pass rusher on the right side of the, I mean, in the left side of the defensive line. So yeah, it, it, it does matter to, to a lot more than it used to how good each side of the, the tackle spot Speaking is. Speaking of versatility, uh, Brett Veach was on with the, on the Pat McAfee show. And there's a couple things he said that I thought were real interesting because Brett Veach, a lot of times people say, well, don't, don't listen to general managers. 
Well, I'll tell you this much. The last two <laughs> years, he's given you some info. Veach, Veach actually drops some nuggets of information I mean, that you have to pay attention to. He called the second to. and third round the hot zones where he gets the yeah, golden. and he did. Not sure the Chiefs are 100% wild on Ohio State guys. Yeah. And then also last year was, well, you can get a running we can get back a seventh running, We can get a running back in the seventh round or undrafted, and then they found a seventh round starting right. running back. But you talk about versatility. Here's Brett Veach on what they look for. So keep this in mind. When you're looking at prospects, and you're like, okay, can he play the right side? Can he play left side? If he's a defensive lineman, can he play inside three technique? Can he play five technique on the outside? Can they do they have versatility? Because that's who they want. They want the luxurious Saints type, Swiss Army knives that can play all over the field. This is what they look for. This is what uh, Brett Veach with with Pat. Well, I think um, you you kind of alluded to it. It's speed and um, and versatility, which which goes with the the player's aptitude to be able to come in and learn plays. Coach likes to um, he likes to create matchup problems and. He, he likes um, offensive players that can play multiple positions. So if he wants to get to a play or a look that's successful, it doesn't have to be that same receiver running that play or that same running back running that play. So any guy that can come in here and, and certainly speed is right at the, the forefront of, um, you know, skill sets that are valued and desired. But guys that can run, but also, um, like I mentioned, just be versatile and line up in different positions, um, play multiple positions. Um, you know, we like receivers that can play inside and outside, and we, we like running backs that can go out and, and play in the slot. So anytime you get speed and versatility, um, you, you know, needless to say, those guys will be high on our priority list. Uh, as Chris said, Cyril, this, uh, there you go, you the versatility. Watch it with wide receivers, too, because I love what he said there. Andy Reid wants a guy that if you're down, he wants a, you want to play the inside, you want to play the slot, you want to play in the outside. We want to be able to run the same plays. That's the guys they're looking for. So when you're looking at receivers and you're looking, all right, who's the matchup with the Chiefs? Can you play inside? Can you play outside? It's like a Sky Moore. Can he return punts or not? Because he obviously came in and didn't really have that skill set right, until he right. was asked to at the end of the year. But very cool that it doesn't matter who's in it. It's plug and play. Who can facilitate our game plan? And it was tested against the Bengals this year with the Chiefs. I think one of the interesting things that you've kind of seen change in the NFL is like nowadays teams want more versatility at wide receiver. It used to be that you wanted a guy like you had specific guys who were going to play outside, specific guys who were going to play in the so slot. Cole could play outside. Yeah, yeah, and so like that's what you that you knew that like certain receiver, you know, Jerry Rice was going to be lined up on the outside. You knew that you know certain receiver Dante Hall was going to be in the slot. He wasn't going to be an outside receiver, and because of that, it it made it easier for defenses to be able to stop certain guys because they they knew where they were going to line up. You watch the Chiefs offense over the last few years, really since they got Tyreek and Kelsey, like those guys lined up everywhere. I mean, Kelsey was, uh, you see Kelsey lined up outside. You'll see him line up outside and then do a short motion inside to the slot on the inside of whatever receiver was in the slot. You'll have, you know, you had Tyreek do an orbit motion all the time. And, and so they, that, that way they could simulate a jet sweep motion and see if they can figure out what the defense is doing. Like, the Chiefs run so many different types of looks, and then they move out of those looks and move guys all over the place. And I, I think that is one of the things that helps their offense stay so hard to defend because you can't really predict where guys are going to go. I mean, you put them in there, you never know what, 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 where they're going to be. And, you know, Tyreek, I mean, personally, I think watching him, there's two guys that really stand out for guys that, you know, were one thing in college and became something else in the NFL. Jared Allen, you know, long snapping. You know, ability. Became yeah, one of he was dominant. No one, pass no one thought he was going to be a, an elite pass rusher at all. Tyree Kill's growth and development as far as the route tree and everything else has been absolutely insane how good he was. And one of the questions, too, is with Andy Reid, like, what's the influence? Because we heard about Brett Beach on a couple of years ago. He said, I cream hunt. 
Because he's a Southeastern Conference scout when he's in Philadelphia and everything. Brett Beasley put the best guys there. That's why he was there. But, hey, watch some action, Coach Reed. Watch some action. Watch this Kareem Hunt guy. See what he's doing. But the, it's interesting what he says about Andy Reed's role as far as whittling things down the two or three guys, letting Coach pick. Well, I think um, to start, just the simple fact that I really came up and I've experienced every level. I mean, he. <clears throat> I started out as coach's assistant, and then from coach's assistant I was um, – I was an office scout, a Midwest scout, a Southeast scout, a national scout, um, and then a kind of co-director. So on one end, I kind of, um, in regards to building a draft board and doing a free agency plan, I've, I've kind of worked at every level. But I think <clears throat> Coach has seen me work at every level, and we've been together so long. So I think that there's such a huge amount of, of, of trust and respect. And um, I think when Coach goes into a free agency or an offseason plan, we have worked together for so long that – when I come to him and, and let him know what me and my staff are thinking in regards to here, the guys we're targeting with some other guys, but this is what we're thinking. And I, and I kind of mirror that with the draft board and positions and stackings, basically trimming off all the bad for him and just giving him real information instead of watching 14 offensive linemen coach, take a t- pick at, you know, take a peek at two or three of these guys. We'll probably select one of them. Here's what we're thinking. We're we've been together so far for so long now where it's more of a, I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it. Um, and still peeking at some tape, but we're not draining everything out of him. Um, have him watch all this tape all this time. I mean, he's really just coming in touch base with us, um, get inside of our mind, see what, see what our thinking. But Pat, I just think over the years, there's so much trust now. It's, um, it, it's one of those things where obviously, you know, I wouldn't sit there and dial down to coach Reed on a, third and three and say here's what i'm thinking coach let's run this because obviously i mean he's a brilliant hall of fame coach um and i'm nowhere ever trying to put myself in his category so chris there's uh brett veach on pat McAfee's show and i i felt interesting you know it, we'll just give coach reed two or three all right these are the guys they, they weed everything out like don't don't waste his time give him two or three guys let him you know give his opinion on it which i think is the reason mahomes is taken we can talk about dorsey beach whoever it was andy reed that selected patrick mahomes 100 percent. oh yeah no andy andy has the final say for any football happenings at, at one but arrowhead drive we talk about we, we talked about the you know the cohesiveness with the royals and the excitement to, that they have and the chemistry it matters in the front office too man i mean it matters with beach and brand tillis who does cap and all that. it matters like we can talk about the chiefs and mahomes and reed you know the chemistry and connection that front office though they're the ones that have to put deal with the salary cap. They're the ones that have to have all the rookies playing 61 games last year, third in the NFL. They're the ones that have to do that. You know, four four rookies out there in the defensive backfield in the Super Bowl. They have to do that because it's the salary cap. 21 of the last 22 guys still in this roster the Chiefs drafted. That's why that cohesiveness is so important. Yeah, I, I I remember, I think it was a month ago, I was reading uh, an old article about, like, what happened with Andy Reid and John Dorsey that led to the, the team uh, the team letting John Dorsey go months after they made the Mahomes pick and everything. And and obviously the Jeremy Macklin part played it, played a part into it, but it was really when Chris Ballard left and went to Indianapolis and became their general manager. And all of a sudden, like, the communication that, Ballard did the organization that Ballard brought to the front office in Kansas city. It was gone. And so now you had John Dorsey and he wasn't, he was making moves and wasn't explaining them, wasn't communicating with everyone. And because of that, it was something that alienated a lot of people in that front office and the coaching staff. And that's why things went fell apart. You look at what's happened here with Veach. Veach has done so much to 
I mean, really, him and it's like him and Andy Reid are like on the same wavelength on everything. If they have any disagreement on anything, they never let that be known to us. They do such a great job of communicating and letting everyone everyone know what's happening. And they always seem to have a plan. And it's the reason why, like, if you're in a position now where it's like in Veach we trust, it very much is like you know you can trust what you can do because they always seem like they have a plan when they make any sort of head-scratching move. It's like, okay, let's wait for the rest of the plan to develop here. And it's worked out very nicely yeah. over the last few Andy years. Andy Reid's not going to win Coach of the Year, Brett Beach second to GM of the Year, but they are the they, tops. They, they are the tops right position. now. Right now, Brett Beach is the hottest thing going in the National Football League. All right, contracts, check. Drafting, hell yes. Trades, very good in this trade. The only thing that anybody has anything bad to say great. about him is free agency, and it's just because the Chiefs don't make splash moves. Well, it, but it doesn't matter because they, they do such a great job at drafting. They don't need to overspend in free agency. It, it, I remember a couple of years ago, people were freaking out. They had anything. They went the honey badger right away. You know, and all yeah. of a sudden things start moving. Exactly. But they, it's, it's just wait and see what they're going to do. But uh, another team in the NFL is really, uh, I wonder if we should put them on the, uh, the uh, top line as far as other teams are concerned. Plus, one thing I think is interesting the Chiefs do to kind of learn players in the college level. We do that next. You're listening to After Hours with Dusty Likens on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Brought to you by Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views. Welcome back. JB with Ray Nicholson, Dustman, back next week. Kristen Ocero. From the, uh, the character concerns. We have character concerns. New one uh, comes out Tuesday. And then we'll be on Thursday night, 6 to 9, talking to NFL Draft with you. One thing I think is interesting, Chris, is in how does Aaron Rodgers pertain to the Chiefs? You know, if people are tired of it. Well, we don't have to deal with Aaron Rodgers. Well, I do think it's important, though. I do think it's important if he ends up in the AFC because that's where all the quarterbacks yeah, are. Yeah, he's an obstacle if he There's if he does AFC. end up get traded, yeah. Jets are a good team, man. And, you know, there's Sauce Gardner, defensive rookie of the year, Garrett Wilson on offense. That's a good roster, except the quarterback position, which – Aaron Rodgers makes it better, but are you getting Aaron Rodgers towards the end of the year? You get Aaron Rodgers at the beginning of the year last year because he wasn't very good. He was obviously good the last two years before that because he was NFL MVP. But then there comes the question, how much dirt are you in football? Because when he came out of the darkness retreat, there's uncertainty whether he's going to play anymore. He still get that one year of guaranteed money. And the Jets, the holdup with the Jets, a lot of it comes down to picks the next couple of years. Right now, according to Yahoo!, uh, they think the framework looks like this. Jets get Aaron Rodgers. Packers get 2023, uh, two, 2023 second-round pick. Conditional 2024 second-round. 2024 pick could become a first-rounder if the Jets hit achievable team performance escalators. But they're, they're saying here in the CBS article, they, it's, it makes a ton of sense. Jets want guarantees, man. They don't want to give all these picks away in the future if Aaron gives them one year. They want, hey, give us two years. Then we'll give you your picks, Green Bay. But <laughs> Aaron Rodgers does this crap every year, and they, the Jets don't want to deal with this next year. Dude, this is – it's funny how close his career arc is playing to Brett Favre's because Brett Favre was doing this every year towards the end of his career where he'd – like the last like five years of his career, he flirted with retirement, which is one of the big reasons why the the, the Packers really by, by 2008 – we're just ready to push him out and say, no, 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 no. You stay retired. You come back and you're going to have to, you're going to be a backup to Aaron Rodgers Cause they didn't want to mess with that anymore. Um, 
the, the thing that I find interesting about this whole deal, I think the Jets are playing this right because I think Aaron Rodgers kind of hurt his trade value when he said he was like 90% retired before he went into the darkness retreat. And then he came back, came back and then he decided to play for the Jets. Like, like that right there really hurt his trade value a lot. Because at that point, it's like, well, if he's 90% retired right now, then what if he decides to retire after next season? What happens if he doesn't play very well with the Jets? The same way Brett Favre didn't play very well towards the end with the Jets when he had that shredded bicep. Like, what happens if Aaron Rodgers comes in and decides to only play one year and then he decides to call it quits and you're on the hook for two second-round picks there? Like, I completely understand from the Jets' perspective not wanting to trade too much. And I understand where the Packers are coming from, too, because you are trading Aaron Rodgers, a Hall of Fame quarterback who is just two years removed from winning his second straight MVP. But in that aspect, because you only have one real suitor and because that, that the player that you're trying to trade has been hinting at retirement for a while, I think it makes sense for the, the Jets to play hardball with them. It is so tough because you're looking at a situation where these teams know they need the quarterback. They know Mahomes in Kansas City's not going anywhere. They got Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. You got all the, you know, Josh Allen in Buffalo, and who knows where Lamar ends up, but it'll make a team very viable. I think he stays in Baltimore. Well, whatever he ends up, but Justin Herbert out with the Chargers. But they want to be in that club. But the Jets are like so close, which shows you how vaunted having a good quarterback. Because the quarterback they got, Zach Wilson, is a byproduct of the uh, pandemic when they didn't have a combine. <laughs> He's so bad. Well, he is bad. He's so and, bad. And, and, but, but they know they're screwed. And yeah, one thing yeah. about NFL teams, they're not holding on to the first round pick as long as they used to. The way the old rules were set up, now it's like they jettison them right away. Yeah. But they're not very good. But the Jets, in my opinion, all right, let me ask you this. Where do you put the Jets in the hierarchy of the AFC if Aaron Rodgers is a Jet? I mean, if I'm if I'm keeping it real, I don't I I don't put Aaron Rodgers in my top five for AFC quarterbacks if he goes there right. If he if he ends up with the Jets. I don't even put him in my top five. I still think there's I think there's guys that surpassed him. Um I will say this. The Jets as a team, great defense. We know that sometimes you'll have great defense one year and then the next year it ends up being spotty. So we'll we'll see how that goes. But it, last year their defense was great. Um, Sauce Gardner was the best corner in football last year as a rookie, which is not something you see very often. And, uh, you know, they, they got some dogs on the in their front seven there. So – you look at what they have. You look at their receiving core. They've got talent. Elijah Moore. Well, actually, no, they traded Elijah Moore. Uh, Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson. Good running back situation there. I. It's hard for me to put them above the big three in the AFC, the Chiefs, Bengals, Bills. But I, if you wanted to make a case for them being the fourth best team, I can give you. I can give you that. Like, I still think like ahead of Miami. Yeah, I'd put them ahead of Miami. I think they're kind of in the same The problem, I, the problem I have with is Tua. Tua. The problem I have with Miami is Tua because Tua will play well against the teams they should play well against. But, like, if you notice the last half of the season before Tua got hurt, teams started to figure out their offense. They started to press them more at the line of scrimmage. Like, even the Chargers, whose defense is trash, even the, the Chargers were able to figure them out and were able to hold them to a reasonable score to beat them. 
uh, later later in the season. So, like, teams started to figure out what the Dolphins were doing, and they just basically said, we'll press you at the line of scrimmage, and we'll make sure that that throws the timing off of your offense. You're not going to get what you're used to. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think that I would put them above the, the Dolphins just because Aaron Rodgers' pedigree is much, much higher than that of Tua, even though I think that Tua's got way better weapons. So, hierarchy of quarterbacks in the AFC. Mahomes won. Yeah. Joe Burrow, two. I go Burrow, two. Josh yeah. Allen, three. Josh Allen, three. And then after that, I go Herbert, four. Herbert, and if Rodgers is over here, I, I, I think I go Lawrence over Rodgers right now. At least just what from what I've seen last year. Trajectory-wise, Lawrence is on the right path. Lawrence is on the right path, and Rodgers is on the wrong path. Now, I don't think Rodgers is a bum or anything. He's right behind Lawrence, and he could certainly jump Lawrence early on if – if he comes in hot and Lawrence doesn't, or Lawrence isn't as good as him, but I think he just took the coach to get Lawrence yeah, going the right direction. I, but, but Lawrence is—he was uh, besides Mahomes, he was the hottest quarterback in the NFL in the second half of the season. So you you look at where he's going. I I think he's going to stay up there in that top five. So Rodgers, I think, is just outside looking in. That's Chris Nocero. I'm Jay Binkley. Grant Nicholson, producing operation. We come back. Look at the Chiefs in the college game and why it correlates so well. You're listening to After Hours with Dusty Likens on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Brought to you by Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views. Well, back to Binkley, Grant Nicholson, producing the operation. Chris Unocero. We got our character concerns coming out. Uh, Tuesday, we'll be uh, back doing some character concerns. Three hours on Thursday. Leading up to the draft each and every Thursday, we're excited. How excited are you, one to ten, the drafts in Kansas City? Because you'd be excited like me, even if it's in Seattle. Or yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't. The, it, it's extra special that it's here, but like, I'm going to be excited wherever they happen. You know, if they if they have it somewhere on the opposite side of the world, I'm not going to care. It's, it's the draft, but uh, it is it is really awesome for them to have it here. So from the nine one three from the text line J Southland Toe Service text line nine one three five eight six seven six ten Bacon Chris I don't think the Chiefs are drafting at thirty one I think they're moving down to thirty nine to get an additional third I don't see a big difference uh, that's a good point between the fifth best edge and seventh or eighth I think that additional third to move up to sixty three or like forty seven to forty eight and getting an edge there at left tackle so I can see what you're saying because there isn't a lot of separation I don't think there's not that Grand Canyon size gap that typically we see with you know, edge rushers, if I've done a chart last yeah. couple of years, we have to pick one to 15. You're not getting me. Right. Because Carlotta's been the outlier in that. Max Crosby's the outlier in that. I think the the tackles, there's not a huge difference between them. Some of the early ones. I think Broderick Jones, once you get past there, it's like, yeah. Yeah, once you get past him or maybe Anton Harrison, once you get Wide past receiver, that level, yeah. White receiver, yeah. Holder. Tight end, I think it's a lot of the same way yeah. as far as what you're going to get. But then there's the question. Like, because the draft's in Kansas City, Business always in front of pleasure. So I know you're in Kansas City, and I know people want to see pick 31. They see the Chiefs on the clock. They don't want to see, oh, the Chiefs moved down to 39. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, though. If I'm the Chiefs, I know it's in Kansas City, and I know you're going to have a crap load of people here. If it makes more sense for the team to move back, I'm 100% for it. I don't think that's what they want to do. I think they want to take a first-round pick. But let's be honest. I don't think in the grand scheme of things it matters. I think the only way that happens is if there's a run on wide receivers before they get to 31. There will be a run on something we're not expecting. 
Yeah, I mean, usually this last year there was a big run on right wide receivers starting at, at at pick ten. We just started a bunch of seeing a bunch of receivers come off the board, and I I knew it was a, it was gonna get bad when it was Jamison Williams got taken there by the Lions. I was like, oh no, because I was hoping it was gonna be the guy for them in the first round last year, and then when he I got picked Watson. at fifteen, I know you wanted you wanted Watson, I wanted Jahan Dodson, and then when when Dodson went fifteen to the Commanders, I was like, oh okay, well. Looks like first round wide receivers off the board now, but I thought that was good though because I thought that okay now you can get uh, you can you can go in and get you an edge rusher. Hopefully that helps things out. And then as we started to creep into the twenties, and uh, Jermaine Johnson and George Karloftis were still on the board, I was like, okay, this might end up pretty good for the Chiefs. Uh, and then obviously they traded. I, I'm not Duffy. opposed to the Chiefs moving up in the second round. Yeah, as they sit right there at the end of the second round at pick sixty three. I'm okay that you look at kind of the, the hot zone for it. The Jets are picking 42 and 43 in the second round. So, but how are the Jets? What's the mindset? Hey, we don't want to give the Chiefs any more ammunition. They already have, because everybody's looking at the Chiefs. The Chiefs are playing on house money. They're at the top. There's no team for them to look at like they used to look at the Patriots, like the Steelers. We got to draft well to beat those teams, right? Like the Chiefs would have never given Eric Fisher if that's what they need to left tackle, like <laughs> no. the Ravens that are running around. But, they, <laughs> but the Chiefs have no one to chase. Everybody's chasing them, and they draft to chase them. So you think, okay, Vegas at 38 is not going to happen. Uh, the Rams at 36 could be interesting. I don't see the Rams doing that, though, because they don't have many early picks anyway, so why not stay at 37 Seattle? Having two first-round picks as well, that becomes, I think, a situation that uh, could possibly be moved up to. And I would be okay with that. I would actually like pick 31 and 37. Because then there's only you know a little space of six players in between there. You really have to sweat out. Yeah, and and the only way I think they move back out of the first round is if they think that they can get Jalen Hyatt or Zay Flowers somewhere in the mid to late 30s or early 40s. That's the only way. I don't think they're going to move back for. An, I don't think they're going to take an edge rusher in the first. Um, I think them signing Aminahue, signing making the run that they did with Nadi and Cowart at DT. I, I don't think they're. I think they're kind of more so in line with maybe getting a veteran uh, edge rusher in free agency right before training camp, like they did a year ago with Dunlap. I think that's more in line. Um, so I, 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 I'm not convinced that edge rushers where they're going to go early. I think more so it's going to be wide receiver, maybe tackle tackle only happens if, if, you're if they're in the situation that you were in during our, our mock 1.5 that we put out last week, where you were like in a situation where you didn't have any of the available receivers with the first round grade. So you took what you thought was the best right tackle in Anton Harrison. So it made sense that, I mean, to be honest, I, I unless they think they can go get Jalen Hyatt or Zay flowers or a, a wide receiver that is uh, valued high, in the early second round, I don't think they're going to trade out of 31. Here's what uh, Brett Veach on the Pat McAfee show, and I did find this really interesting, talked about the college game and what they look for because this is really imperative to what the Chiefs do. He does a great job of staying involved with the with the, the college offenses. The coaches around him are really in tune with you know the college concept and ideas, and so that when he gets younger guys, he's already trying to incorporate um, a lot of the stuff that they were familiar with in, in college and – and he just, in general, stays in touch with with the younger 
with the younger crew and, and what they're watching and what they're going through and what they're experiencing in life, which I think um, helps them better relate as a coach. Used to be everybody in college watched the NFL game. I know the teams have uh, looked at what Mahomes did at Texas Tech and back when Kingsbury still there, look at the RPO game that they do. But pay attention to what they're doing in college. What makes them work? That's one thing Andy Reid did. Looked at Patrick. Sorry, what worked for you best? We want you to feel comfortable. The only time I really saw this tried, it didn't really work, was when RG3 was in Washington. Yeah. They tried to scale it back to some of the things he did at Baylor. Yeah, it was a bad idea after they changed their offense after his rookie year. It didn't, it didn't, it did not work. But the college game can uh, yield uh, a lot of interesting things. What what makes these guys tick? What makes them good? Because that's what I want to know. What makes you good? And let's do what makes you good and facilitate your strengths. Uh, 913-586-7610 is the J. Southland Tow Service text line. They want to know, text line for the 913, wants to know what you and I think about a certain receiver. And I absolutely love this receiver, not in the first round, but later on. I'll get your opinion on that next, Chris. You're listening to After Hours with Dusty Likens on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Brought to you by Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views. Welcome back, J.J. Lewitt. Brent Nicholson once again didn't bring breakfast at all. And I brought him like a full spread. There's not, not a scrap of food in this office. I brought you biscuits and gravy, pancakes, yeah. Yeah, okay. some bacon, some sausage. Sure. Today? Yeah, Uno Cero might have ate it all. I did not see any food out there. I was uh, here did you for, eat his stuff I got him? I was here for two hours before Uno Cero got here, and there <laughs> there was not a mention of food. I kept it, I forgot it at my desk. And I think Uno Cero was for, for two it. For two hours, you forgot it at your desk, Jay? Big doesn't forget food. Yeah, <laughs> Big's not a person who forgets about food. Big reminds everyone else about, like, if there's, like, let's say, like, Old Shawnee or someplace drops food off out there. Like, Big's the one that, hey, go get you some food, man. My we beer some food was out stolen. There. My beer was stolen. The Henry brought me from uh, Minneapolis. Yeah. Actually? Twins, yeah. That's too I bad. I had some Fulton six-pack. Uh, is the Vine. Uh, I forget what they call it. The Vine beer they have in Fulton. It's an IPA they have. You going you gonna to confront Kling about this at some point? Oh, you, you uh, calling Kling out on taking this? I mean, uh, this was... I think he did because I got a text was... from him and said sorry. He said sorry? You're going to confront him about it? It's, gonna play, my hey. fault. it's my fault for, for getting it. It's totally my fault. No, no, no. It's not your fault. Well, I did forget it. And you don't leave anything Yeah, but just because here. you forgot it doesn't mean he could just take it. There's two I, things I see you don't stuff, leave around here. Food and beer. I see stuff around here all the time, and I don't take it just because it's there. I was like, oh, that's probably someone else's stuff. Oh, it's from the 660. It wasn't from the 913. I apologize, the 660 area code. Do you think um, they're that mad about mis- you misrepresenting their area code? Well, I did, damn it. But are you, do you think they're mad? Area code. Do you think they're mad, though? I'd be. I would be. I'd be like, wait a minute, what was 660, not 913? That's you. That's you. Not everyone's like you, Pink. <laughs> I'd like to hear you guys' thoughts on wide receiver Trey Palmer out of Nebraska. Here's the thing. I actually like Trey Palmer a lot, and there's a lot to like about Trey Palmer. He's six foot. All right, get you over that six foot category. Don't forget, you know, Gigi was only like six one or something. Yeah, the Chiefs don't really care about that's one thing. That's one thing the Chiefs don't have, though. They don't have that Sammy Watkins Juju type. He's pissed. He's texted. He's pissed. They they don't really have that Sammy Watkins Juju tough guy type. And I, I bring it up all the time, but when the Chiefs were on the rise and things were going well and they played out New England in a regular season game, Guess who was on Sammy the entire game? It wasn't on Tyreek Hill. Stephon Gilmore was coming off defensive player of the year. 
Well, because he couldn't cover Tyreek. That's why they put him on Sandy. <laughs> <laughs> they were like, we got to, Stephon's got to shut somebody down. We can't put him on Tyreek. But he was at the top of his he game. He was at, at the point. top of his game, but he couldn't cover Tyreek. Tyreek's too damn fast. Jalen Ramsey couldn't even cover him. And then Sammy slammed his ass on the ground in a little fight. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah. It's one thing about Sammy when he played, he was a tough guy. But Trey Palmer ran the fastest 40 any wide receiver at the combine, ran a 4-3-3. And you can do a lot with 4-3-3 speed, and the Chiefs had the coaching staff to do it. And then you say, okay, you want, don't want to be the Raiders, just picking somebody because they're fast. Can you play football? Well, Trey Palmer's an interesting guy. Played three years at LSU in the SEC. His uh, final year at LSU was 2021. 30 for 344 and three touchdowns. Okay. What do you do at Nebraska? 71 catches, 1,043 yards, nine touchdowns. And he also carried the ball five for 75. So that means they used him out of the backfield running the ball as well. I actually am okay with you taking Trey Palmer in the third. We'll say you move up in the fourth to the end of the third. I know he's looking third to fifth round type guy. I think Trey Palmer's got it because not only is he fast, he can play football. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, my thing is he can't be your, your only solution at wide receiver. If he's the second wide receiver you take in the draft. Again, I'm throwing darts. Last year was seven of ten picks on defense. Yeah. I'm throwing darts at the offense. Yeah. So if he's your, like, let's say they go Jalen Hyatt first round, and then they come back around in, like, the third, or maybe they trade up into the fourth. They trade up higher in the fourth to get him. That's perfect. I think that's a great situation there. And you get another young playmaker that you can mold. Because, like, the big thing for him is he's – very athletic, but he's he doesn't have much in the way of technique. He needs to be coached. He needs to be molded. And so uh, the Chiefs are are the kind of team that trusts their coaching a hell of a lot more than most teams do. And he played do. at LSU, then yeah. Nebraska. I get it, the LSU. Really group. talented kid. And then you get here, the wide receiver, Andy Reid being here, Patrick Mahomes being here. It's big. Trey Palmer, yes, four three three speed. That's McCall Hardman speed. Yeah. That's McCall Hardman speed you're getting and a bigger guy. Uh, so, yes, text line 660. Again, sorry for calling you 913. Because evidently they sent pissed and off. I think they were being sarcastic. I know they were. <laughs> I think they were. But you liked Bryce Ford Wheaton. Yes. In the. What, it was about six, six round. round. It was about the six round. And Bryce Ford Wheaton is out of West Virginia. Now, here's the thing about Bryce Ford. Big dude. He's 6'4, 221 pounds. You say, okay, well, the guy's too big. He's not fast. Eh, not so fast, my fast. friends, as Lee Corso would say. Ran a 438. Yeah, he's, I think, and that's the reason why I think he's someone the Chiefs would target. I, the height thing doesn't do anything for me. It and does for me because they don't I, have that I know, guy. I know, it, I know it Marquis does for Valdez, you. Marquise Scantlin's tall, I, I, but Yeah, but they don't, use, they don't use you it that way. use that height. They don't use the height. Here's the thing about Marquise Valdez, he's fast as hell and big as hell. He is. He's 4'3'7 guy. He, is. he led the NFL in like the top speed in the game two years ago. Yeah, and it's Marquez. Don't, don't, Marquez. Otherwise, he'll, he'll correct you. Well, I just call him MVS. Yeah, that's, that's, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. But, yeah, they did not use uh, Marquez's height very much at all. He was just the downfield that's guy. your fate guy man yeah but they don't want to they don't you know andy doesn't like running fades with his receivers if he's gonna do that i want to see more this tight end. nine routes with the man yeah go me too get underneath the football they can do that but stuff. i think the reason why they didn't do it as much this year is because they they only had uh, a couple of other reliable receivers that they knew they could throw the ball and to you gotta underneath. be careful of protection you gotta make sure yeah, and they and they needed like Orlando they Brown needed tight ends to cheer okay can you hold yes. your man long enough for this to deliver yeah this football? and so that that they is as, as, as crazy as it sounds the chiefs were kind of offensively challenged because they didn't have quite the depth that wide receivers for as reliable and, receivers and go. And Reed told everybody in St. Joe yeah. training camp. They said, okay, 
you know, caution your fantasy. It's not going to be a whole lot of fireworks this year. And I remember year. saying on the air, there will be no receivers over 1,000 yards. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I believed wasn't, it. And there wasn't, even though Juju would have gotten I, had he I, not had a concussion. I, I thought Juju was going to get just over 1,000, and he finished like 67 yards short of it. So pretty close there. But, yeah, I, I did not expect that there was going to be a 1,000-yard receiver except for Juju on the team. It's hard to believe the number one offense in the NFL had I no 1,000-yard Yeah, just receiver. a tight end that went with 1,400 for, for uh, Kelsey this year. So, But that just goes to show how great of a play caller Andy Reid is. And that's the reason why, like, I, as, as great as last season was, I don't think you want to put that kind of strain on Mahomes every year. So that's why you got to load up on some big playmakers. That's why Jalen Hyatt is, a, a, to me, my favorite option here. Uh, Trey Palmer, I'd be cool with that, too. And as long as he's not your number one, he's not your top acquisition at receiver in this draft. And then, yeah, Bryce Ford Wheaton as well. Getting a guy like him who does have that height but has the speed you covet if you're the Chiefs. Because the that one thing I think the Chiefs will be looking for is some toughness at wide receiver that acts. Like that's, yeah. that's what Sammy brought when he played. And they, they were they were honest. We need this guy in the postseason. He shined the postseason just under a shy right. uh, of 100 yards per game. But they wanted Juju. And it goes back to how much Andy Reid was texting two years ago, before the year that he signed in Pittsburgh before Kansas City. Yeah, he was sliding in them DMs. Like Andy, Andy's not going to do that unless he needs you. Yeah. And there was two things I think the Chiefs needed. Edge rusher and physical, tough wide receiver at that point. Weren't able to bring in Juju. Were able to get it in last year. I think they're still looking for that role. Yeah. That's the one thing they don't have. Yeah, I think, I think though, they, they kind of want to just load up on weapons. Because at this point now, you just need some guys that you can trust to go out there and make big plays in the passing game. Make it easier for Mahomes to where he can just heave the ball down the field and the guy's going to jump up, you know, go underneath just it and take it down. get open and he'll get you the ball. Yeah. You do the rest. The yards after the catch is so important. Yeah. I, and, 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 which is the most important thing in football. And that was the thing that I think really hurt the Chiefs last year offensively to an extent was not having the guy that did what Tyreek did where they just catch it short and just take it down the field. You didn't have that. Thanks to Grant Nicholson producing the operation. Thanks for the wonderful breakfast you provided today, too, Grant. Uh, Chris is back with me and Nick Schwartz. We do the character concerns. We'll be here yes. Thursday night. We're putting the new podcast out on Tuesday. But coming up next, the incomparable Josh Vernier, the best in baseball at Craft and Draft. Go see him. Go see the C on his chest. Vern, next. You're listening to After Hours with Dusty Likens on 610 Sports Radio and the Odyssey app. Brought to you by Twin Peaks. Eats, drinks, scenic views.